From the darkest reaches of space to the deepest corners of your mind. Your mind. Welcome to From the Void. I've been fascinated with the idea of ghosts and spooky or creepy things, as my daughter calls them, since I can remember. She's nine years old now, and my obsession probably started right around that age. I'm sure it didn't help that my mom was really into true crime and specifically the TV show Unsolved Mysteries. The most famous host in its long run was an actor named Robert Stack, and I can still hear his voice. He somehow made already terrifying things even more terrifying. I really wanted to have some sort of supernatural experience, but as the years went by, it just never happened. My friends would tell me crazy stories that were just too wild to believe, things that were just simply inexplicable. But these things just never happened to me. We started to joke that I wanted it too badly and that the ghosts knew this and they were therefore staying hidden on purpose to frustrate me. And then this year, in 2022, it finally happened. I was at my then-girlfriend's house sitting on her bed with her making a shopping list. She had one of those Cape Cod-style houses where the stairs leading up to the second floor was all open concept. No door at the bottom or the top. The bed was situated on the complete opposite side of the room from the stairs. And as we sat there in the middle of the day, we suddenly heard the unmistakable sound of heavy, deliberate footsteps coming up the stairs. It was unquestionable. And my skeptical brain went to the most logical explanation. She had a rather large dog, and so clearly it was the dog coming up the stairs. The only problem was, there wasn't the usual jingling of his collar, and, as I looked to my left, he was fast asleep in his dog bed right next to me and hadn't moved an inch. I remember we just sort of looked at one another, and she says to me, Did you just hear that? Yeah. What did you hear? She says, Someone walking up the stairs. That's exactly what I heard. Only no one appeared at the top of the stairs, and no one else was in the house with us that day. It finally had happened. I had my experience. I wasn't scared, just really excited. Okay, ghost, I hear you. I live in the great city of Columbus, Ohio. A city that was virtually created to be the capital of Ohio. We have a ton of history here, just like most older cities, and with our fair share of tragedy. This week's guest is local historian and author Nellie Campman, who talks about the history, tragedy, and some of the ghostly sightings people have reported from all around town. Welcome to this week's mystery, The Ghosts of Columbus, Ohio, on From the Void. All right. Welcome to the podcast. I have this week with me, Nellie Campman. Thanks you so much for coming on the, the uh, show this week. Oh, definitely. My pleasure. Well, this is a special one for me because, um, you know, folks who listen, you know, listen from all over. But uh, those who have you know bothered to look, you know, where I'm located, I'm, I'm based out of Columbus, Ohio. And I love this city. I think we get kind of a, a weird rap, you know, as like Cowtown or whatever. And I think it's it. Typically, when I hear that, I'm like, oh, you've never been to Columbus. 
uh, I kind of see us as this very kind of progressive city, kind of like the Austin of the Midwest, where uh, there's a lot happening and, and the, the city is growing rapidly and, and it feels like every little uh, area of town is just constantly changing. Um, so there's there's just a lot to do here. And, and so I'm always interested in opportunities to kind of sing the praises of our city and, and talk about how neat it is and, and the history of it. Uh, so uh, tell listeners a little bit about your background and, and uh, what it is that you do for a living. I am an archivist with the Historical Society. Unfortunately, they won't let me mention which one. <laughs> but I've been doing that for about 15 years. And before that, I did a lot of uh, records management kind of work. Um, I've also worked for a costume company, which was the family business. So I grew up around that. Um, so I'm really into historical costuming. That's kind of what got me into history to begin with. Is you learn about the clothes and you learn about the history that went along with the clothes and things kind of snowballed from there. Very good. Yeah, I was going to ask because uh, so my background, my degree is in history. And so I'm, I love all things, uh, you know, antiques and all things old. So I'm always fascinated by the various history. Um, you know, I picked up, um, I think it's maybe part of the same series, uh, the history of the neighborhood that I that I live in and I'm always fascinated by that sort of thing. So uh, so you, you talked a little bit about how you got interested in in hauntings. Uh, so what what kind of got you into researching specifically Columbus area hauntings? Uh, uh, one of my coworkers used to be an events coordinator at the Kelton House, and one night she invited me to go to their um, ghost tours. And the moment I got to the the steps, I started feeling dizzy, and. Then I went inside and I got really angry at a picture of Oscar Kelton, who was um, the young son of the ho- son of the house who had been killed in the um, Civil War. And it's it just really weird. But and you, could, you could kind of feel the atmosphere around there. It got this really intrigued me. So you know, I talked to her about the history of the place and started learning more and more about Columbus history. And to be honest, I was never interested in history when I was younger because the way they taught it was all, you know, military, political, and economic history. It's like, you know, it's great if you like that, but for most people, it's not really their bag. I started learning more about the weird little stories of history, and it, I just got hooked. Yeah, and there's there's a lot. And, and Columbus itself as a city has a really kind of unique kind of story behind how it even came to be. So for people who aren't familiar with Columbus as a city, uh, talk about, like, kind of the unique way that it came to be in the first place as the the capital of Ohio. Oh, that was kind of a con, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When they were trying to make Ohio a state, they were looking at the different areas, different cities, or actually more like towns, um, the central part of Ohio, so it would be easily accessible to everybody from everywhere in the state. Uh, They originally started out with Zanesville, but they did decide that wasn't working too well. So then they started looking a little more centrally, and they decided Franklin County was probably the best area. Um, they were looking at Dublin, and Dublin was offering them their own distillery. Apparently, it was quite the <laughs> booze production back then. Um, but then uh, they started looking closer to an area that was just west of Franklinton, which is was established back in 1796. Um and there were four businessmen that made a deal. So look, you know, we'll give you the land. Um and they, they they basically made a killing off of the land that they owned around the land that they gave for the state house itself. It was really pretty clever of them, actually. 
So, so Columbus, you know, as, as you mentioned, the book is really a manufactured city, which is interesting. I don't know that I'd ever run across that in, in history before. Yeah, well, it's about the truth, though. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, so talk a little bit about at, at the beginning of the book. You, you have this quote that I thought was actually kind of stunning. So you're, you're kind of putting together, collecting stories, and you talk about the fact that a, in a 10-block area within the Discovery District alone has an average of one haunting per block. That's insane. <laughs> and that you compiled over 50 sites, mostly within the inner belt of the city. So talk about, first of all, for folks that aren't from Columbus, what is the Discovery District? And uh, the Discovery- what, what, what constitutes the inner belt? Yeah, um, well, the Interbelt basically goes around the main part of downtown. And within downtown, there is the Discovery District, which is an area where they have a lot of older houses. It was pretty much where the rich people lived for the most part. Well, one of the two places where the rich people lived during the earlier Victorian era. Most of the houses date from, I think the earliest was around the 1840s, and then they go up through 1870s. Um I used to work at a place called the Kelton House, which is now a house museum, historic house museum. And that was one of the places that was there. It was built in 1852. It was used as a, a stop on the Underground Railroad. And that place is just like, for my money, the most haunted place in Columbus. But, it, you know, if, even if you go up and down the street, Town Street, where it is, like, you know, it seems like once a block, there's pretty much a haunted, a known haunted place. Um like the whole street until you get down to the um the inner belt i'm not too sure what's on beyond that but uh definitely that area is just crazy haunted that that's remarkable and and so you talk about at the beginning of the book you know looking into some of the some of the the kind of common factors that most people look at like why would this area be uh incredibly haunted and so you know you think of like war zone areas and stuff like that. And we really, you know, Ohio really, for the most part, you know, we really haven't had any battles here. You know, we, we provided a lot, clearly a lot of historically, a lot of uh, civil war soldiers, you know, specifically in the, the side of the union, but we don't really have, you know, much in the way of battles in the state. Um, but you discovered something kind of interesting when it came to like the physical properties of the area. Talk about that a little bit. Well, we have streams that go underneath the city, and a lot of Columbus is just rife with ravines going back and forth. And they, they um, associate water with hauntings a lot, and they also associate um, not flint, uh, <laughs> certain kind of limestone. Stone, limestone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're, we're built on top of a big limestone deposit, so they think that may have something to do with it. That's fascinating. So. So again, uh, one of the interesting things, I, I, I pull out so much uh, fascinating history from your book. Um, it, it talks about a lot of the kind of um, uh, causes for a lot of the deaths, uh, especially, you know, in the early years, in the, in the early uh, to late 1800s. And you talk about the fact that, um, you know, we went through our bouts of cholera and smallpox, and there were a lot of diseases that came through that caused uh, a great deal of death. Um, talk about that a little bit and just, you know, at, at one point, you know, just how bad uh, or how badly it had hit the city. Oh, I think the worst ones we even hit with was the cholera epidemics. We had like three different cholera epidemics, roughly 10 years apart or maybe 15 years apart. Um, they were saying during the first one, the 1830s, that, you know, people would go to the well, uh, 
the common wells in the city, you know, in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, and then by nighttime, they'd be dead. It, it was just hit people that fast. Um, the second round of cholera was like 1848, uh, and it hit the Ohio Penitentiary really bad to the point where they, they, they were just overwhelmed with deaths. It, going to the Ohio Penitentiary at that point, you know, regardless of what your crime was, was almost a, a death, um, death sentence. Uh, I was told by one guy who used to work in the um, Belmont Casket Company, which is right next to where the Ohio Penitentiary had been. And he said that whenever they were doing digging around the place, they would find these bodies that were sawn in half and buried upright. And as far as I can tell, that was probably used as an overflow graveyard for all the guys that died in the Ohio Penitentiary. Is that bad? Wow. Yeah, you t- you talk about that too. There, you know, a couple of tragedies that took place in the early 1900s. You mentioned the the levee breaking in 1913, and then the prison fire that you were just referencing around 1930 mm-hmm. uh, that caused an, an insane amount of death. Um, and that kind of led to what you talked about a rather strange problem, and that was the the issue of the cemeteries. I, I thought that was interesting. Talk about that a little. Oh boy, the cemeteries are kind of interesting because they had originally had cemeteries like three different cemeteries within the inner belt. Um, but as land values got higher, and also they were more concerned about how having dead bodies buried, you know, that close to where people were actually living. Um, might affect the health of the city. They started building cemeteries farther on out. Uh, the main one they built was um, Greenlawn Cemetery, which is really good timing because about the t- same time that they opened Greenlawn Cemetery was when the second round of cholera hit. So, they, you know, they, you look at the newspaper articles of the day and just think, whew, good timing on that, man. In- incredible. And Greenlawn, for those who are not from, from uh, Columbus, is it's a massive cemetery. It's really, really large. And beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and what was interesting, too, I thought this was kind of funny and, and also clever uh, and a very interesting historical fact. You talk about the fact that, uh, as with other cities as well, it's not unique to Columbus. Uh, there was a lot of grave robbing at one point to provide uh, cadavers and, and things for medical schools. And so they, you know, it forced people to come up with all sorts of creative ways to protect their loved ones, including uh, one thing that you mentioned called the Clover Coffin Torpedo. <laughs> what, what was that? Oh, it's this lovely little device that if you tried digging up the grave, it exploded and killed you. <laughs> so at least it provides <laughs> more like bodies. I feel like that would compound and... the problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting at the very beginning of the book, um, and, and partly because uh, while I was doing my own genealogy, uh, genealogical research on my family, uh, a lot of my family that was from Scotland, you know, were were uh, probably like more blue collar. You know, they they worked in um, the mines and, and things of that nature. And one of my relatives actually died in a poorhouse, and I had no idea at the time what that was because obviously it's not a thing that exists anymore. And so one of the stories that you tell is about uh, the Franklin County Poorhouse. Talk about that. Oh, yeah, that's actually my favorite stories because, you know, I lived here in the Columbus area my entire life. I'm 60 now. And I had no idea we'd had a poorhouse in Columbus. Uh, we actually, over the time, had three different ones. So the first one was in Granville, and it really, Grandview. And it really cracks me up because uh, that building is still there. And it's now a 500, well, it's probably more than that. Years ago, it was like uh, half a grand, half a million dollar 
uh, mansion, <laughs> which uh, the original inhabitants must be looking at like, wow. Uh, the next <laughs> one was built down in German village um, around Latham Lane. Uh, but at about the t- same time that they built it, the state legislator decided, well, you know, it's going to hurt people's feelings to be put in what's called a poor house. So we'll make it an infirmary and, you know, like being poor and then stuck in with a bunch of uh, very, very ill people is really going to make them feel that much better. So they had that on top of everything else. And then it ended up being kind of an overflow um, hospital area for some of the other big institutions in town, like the Ohio Penitentiary um, and also the um, state mental hospital. So they had, um, they, they would have people who should not have been housed in the same buildings at all. They had separate houses for the people who were like severely mentally ill, but they, you know, in some of the reports they mentioned, um, somebody who was mentally incompetent, um, put in the same room with somebody who was just raving mad, literally raving mad. And you know, the poor guy that you know, wasn't very bright would be absolutely terrified. Now, it turns out that they still have the foundations of some of those buildings there. Um, a friend of mine said that she, when she was a teenager, her neighbor said, hey, you know, we've got jail cells in the basement. <laughs> and she thought he was joking. And she went downstairs. Yeah, they had actual jail cells. Well, there's another historian in town who specializes in German village. His name is John Clark. He was able to figure out the exact house that that was in. And he sent me pictures of it. And they still have the jail cells in the basement. They no longer have the bars on the doors. But yeah, you can tell it was cells. Just fascinating stuff. That's unbelievable. And and these poor houses, I mean, the conditions were absolutely atrocious and it was mm-hmm. just insanely overcrowded and the treatment of the people there. And, and one of the things that was interesting is for, for all the various reasons why people might end up there. One of them in the book that you talk about is I, something to the extent of like in the family way or something like that. I thought, That's horrible. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, just kind of shoving this family member out. We don't want to deal with you anymore and, mm-hmm. and sent them there. Oh, yeah. They, they just had all sorts of reasons why they sent people there. And a lot of them are not very legitimate as far as I'm concerned. Ugh. So so talk about, you know, before we get into some of the other areas of town, um, obviously, you know, we've been talking about all these places where uh, inhumane treatment occurred and, and deaths occurred and all these sorts of things, you know, whether it was, you know, in the poorhouse or, or due to illness and disease, um, all these things kind of kind of create a nice uh, uh you know, uh, boiling pot, you know, as it were for haunted activity. So what kind of activity, uh, has been, um, kind of recorded or, or captured in, in that area? Well, I could tell you tons about the Kelton house. Um, one of the last times that I did a ghost tour there, uh, it, it ended up only having a couple of people. And I was telling a story in one of the upper bedrooms about, um, a, one of the ropes that had been on the door and, a. a one of the staff members went into the room to take care of something. She turned around and the thing was like swinging like a pendulum. And the, the, the ropes they had on those back then were really, you know, big, heavy velvet ropes. It didn't make sense that that would happen. Well, the two ladies that were standing the, in the doorway started screaming, oh, the door ropes itself is um, swinging again. Now, at that point, they'd replaced it with some really lightweight upholstery, drapery kind of roping. And they were standing in the doorway. So it's like, ah, guys, you know, I think maybe you just... <laughs> hit it yourself and i'm trying to figure out how to diplomatically tell them you're letting your imagination run away with you and as i'm looking at them 
a lock of hair on one of their heads lifted up by six inches and then dropped. Whoa. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I can't even believe that. So I, I said, oh, I surely, I must have imagined that. So I'm looking at it and said, what, did you guys feel something? And the lady whose hair lifted up, she pointed to the exact spot in her head where I saw her hair lift up and said, yeah, I felt something yanking my hair here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Yeah, because it's like a lot of times you hear these stories and it's like, well, you know, we took some video footage and I saw an orb and it's like, could be dust, could be whatever. Um, a lot of things can be kind of ambiguous or easily explained away. But, you know, something like that happening, you know, it's kind of kind of difficult to explain that one away. Yeah, that, that's by far the craziest thing I've seen there. Not that there hasn't been plenty of other things. But <laughs> sure. That one just completely blew my mind. That, that's like the wildest thing I've seen in my entire life. That's crazy. Oh my gosh. So, uh, the next thing I want to talk about, because I, I will literally get in trouble if I don't, uh, bring up the Ohio state university, you can't be in Columbus and not bring up Ohio state university. I, it's, it's, I think it's a law somewhere, but, um, so Ohio state, it, it, it's kind of interesting because it opens in 1873. Um, and obviously it, it started off very, very small with a very small enrollment, but it's grown to, I, I believe in any given year, it's a, it's somewhere in the, range of third largest school by enrollment. I think as of uh, last year, the enrollment was something around 67,000 students and some change. Uh, but it's got a ton of history. And you talk about one of the oldest structures built, uh, a couple of them, uh, University Hall and Oxley Hall. Uh, so talk about those two buildings in particular. University Hall was the original building there. Um, it was used like kind of a multi-purpose building. Uh off the top of my head, I don't remember the ghost stories from it. <laughs> Foxley Hall. Uh, again, it was used as a dorm at some point, and the, people were just feeling creeped out by various things going on there. They, they think it may have been haunted by a couple of people that were um, killed by a serial, serial killer in the 1920s. It was um, a pharmacy student. He decided he wanted to feel, see, feel powerful by poisoning people. With the medicine he was giving them, he poisoned like five people altogether and two of them died. Like, you, you just don't really think of serial killers in OSU that far back, although we have had serial killers since then. Yeah, that that was an interesting story. Uh, the winter of 25 and and these students who I, I think I think it was like cold medicine or something that they went yeah. in to get in started having seizures and convulsions. And I think they thought it was something else originally until mm -hmm. it started to spread to other students and they realized there was a common denominator amongst them that they had all taken this medicine. But they never they never found the, uh, the killer. Is that correct? Oh, no, they figured out who it was. It was like a senior pharmacy student. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty amazing. I'd never heard that story before. Um, one of the other things that's really interesting to me, because this has always been a fascinating portion of history, I think because um, in the era that it, it kind of gained in popularity, it's kind of that that bridge between um, kind of the old way and, and kind of the new industrial uh, way and kind of the modern modern times, you know, in the, the late 1800s, early 1900s. And that's this rise in popularity and spiritualism. I always thought that was so interesting that these that it was so commonplace you know people would have seances in their homes and and invite uh psychic mediums in, and this was kind of a thing that you did at dinner parties and so uh columbus is no exception we had uh some of the more famous mediums come through and we also had our own famous mediums. so talk about that a little bit 
Um, among the mediums that were in Columbus, there was one guy that he would make paintings of dead people. And he was pretty well known. Unfortunately, I'm blanking out his name. One of the ones from this area was Elizabeth Greer Coit, who went on to become, um, she was a leader in the women's movement in Columbus, but she was also very much into spiritualism. And her daughter married into the Kelton family. So again, there's a weird connection there. Um, she, was, she was very upfront about the fact that she was uh, a medium. And it's just kind of interesting that people just were so upfront about it. Although there was also a lot of problems with people saying, well, no, this is all charlatanism. And granted, there was charlatanism going on, but there was also a lot of very legitimate stuff going on as well. Yeah, I, I I was just fascinated to find out that we had kind of our own kind of local celebrities uh, in that in that realm, and the fact that there still uh, still are several spiritualist churches in the Columbus area, including one that I have passed by many times downtown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's one on the corner of Grant's. It's right across the street from uh, Grant Hospital. Yes. Yeah, I think that's the one I've been passing. It's uh, let's see here, the first spiritualist Christian temple mm-hmm. on uh, yeah. East State Street. That and it's a beautiful building. Also, is built and it looks like 1902, uh, so it's got that historical kind of architecture to it. Um, but I had no idea it was still operating. It's still they still have. I looked it up even. They still have multiple services throughout the week, and uh, it, I thought that was very very interesting. Yeah, for a while there, they were having something going on first Saturday of the month where you could go in and get readings and. I did that before. It was kind of interesting. Did, did they tell you anything uh, Anything that came true? or? Well, they, they, the lady said, there's some lady in Peggy who wants to talk. You know, like, I don't know anybody in Peggy. And after I got out of there, then I realized that a friend of mine's mother who had died like within the past year's name was Peggy. And he's a oh really my gosh. close friend. So I was like, hmm. <laughs> I should pay more attention. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I need to go down there and check this out. Um <laughs> Uh, so, so talk about, there's a really uh, interesting story. So Franklinton, uh, for, for those not from the area, is, is a section very, very close to downtown Columbus here, and down very close to the core. It's um, uh, an area town that's really massively under development right now. It's kind of the new hot, hot area um, you know, to build and, and to, uh, to renovate. Um, so talk about, it, it's got some pretty cool Civil War history to it. Well, I don't know if cool is the, the way to put it, I guess, but <laughs> there's some pretty brutal history, I should say, um, in that area. Actually, it goes back way farther than the Civil War. Um, back even before the Revolutionary War, there's something called Lord Dunmore's War, where the British were trying to clear the area out of the Native Americans living there. And a man named Colonel Crawford, who actually was Major Crawford at the time, William Crawford, he was sent to clear out the Seneca Cayuga who were living in the area. Now, there was a settlement of Seneca Cayuga basically around where the Ohio Penitentiary was, which is right across the river from Franklinton. And they waited until um, the men of the village had went off on a hunting expedition and they just started slaughtering everybody who was left, all the women and children and the old men. One lady was able to escape over to an island that was in between um, the Ohio Penn area and Franklinton with her little son. But she got killed, but he was able to climb into a hollow tree and escaped. And he was able to tell um, everybody what happened when they got back. 
I think a couple of them also escaped and were able to track down the the man to let them know to come back as soon as possible. But ever since then, that the earliest ghost story in Columbus was from Franklin's home, where they'd say they hear screams coming from that uh, that island. Also, during the War of 1812, they used it as a prison island for the British soldiers. And the British soldiers, they, they were just not suited to the weather here. So they tried to escape. Uh, so the Americans put sharpshooters on either side of the river. And whenever somebody tried to cross the river, they'd shoot them dead and they'd hear more screams. So it, it got the uh, nickname Bloody Island. It kind of got cleared away by the various floods over the years. But if you get on satellite, you can kind of still see uh, the ghost of the island itself in the river in there. It's really interesting. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea it had such a uh, a dark history. And and, uh, is that also the area where there was the the prison camp uh, for the Civil War where they kind of kept the uh, Confederate soldiers as well? Is that, am I remembering that correctly? Camp Chase is farther on down. It's um, on okay. Sullivan Avenue, kind of near Hague. And that one, yeah, that again, they, they had Camp Chase. It started out as a camp where training Union soldiers, but they started keeping um, Confederate soldiers there. And again, you know, they did the they only had so many supplies and stuff to go around. And again, the, the soldiers were just not used to the harsh Ohio winters. And so there's a lot of deaths. And they built a cemetery there, Camp Chase Cemetery. It's really interesting if you go to the cemetery because you know, one end where they have the earlier graves, they're spaced a certain amount apart. And the farther you go in, the graves are closer and closer and closer together. And there's a famous story there about a young woman who was a Southern sympathizer. I guess she was, her family is originally from the South. She was um, educated in Tennessee, and she just had a great deal of sympathy for the Southern soldiers. And she is known to, she's known as the lady in gray who visits one of the graves there all the time. Oh, wow. That, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. And, and uh, a couple of other places I want to mention real quick that I thought were interesting. Uh, one of my favorite places to visit, uh, again, it you know appeals to my sense of history, is the Jury Room, which is a uh, like a cocktail bar uh, smack in the middle of downtown, uh, right next to the courthouse and everything. Um, actually has been decorated to look like it did in the 1800s. Um, that's got a lot of history to it. So talk about that and, and what kind of created an environment where people are now telling stories of crazy things happening there. Oh boy, that started out as kind of a coach house for people who were coming into Franklin County or Columbus um, to do business at the county courthouse, which is about a block away. So right across the street from where there had been um, a Native American burial ground or burial mound, uh, but they ended up destroying that much earlier on. In fact, I've been told that they used a lot of the clay from that mound to build the original state house, even with little bits of bone in it. It's like, ooh, I don't know what they were thinking. Oh, boy. Um, over time, by the time of the Civil War, uh, one of the rooms, or one of the, uh, the upstairs area, and apparently the downstairs basement were being used as uh, bordello. And the story I found out when I was doing research on it is that um, one night... Um, a very uh, a few very drunk German young men 
went to visit the bordello, but they'd already closed for the night. And one of them, he'd been bragging about what a big man he was around there and how they just let him in, no problem. And when the, um, the madam, Frances Mueller, would not let him in, he just started kicking up a fuss. And she was getting frightened because the guy was being really violent about it. So she gets out of the gun. She tells him, look, if you don't leave, I'm going to shoot you. She had a, like a 14-year-old daughter there, and she was particularly concerned about her. Um, the dude, his friend said, come on, it's not worth it. Let's go someplace else. And they started pulling him away, and she cracks the door open to see and make sure they're really leaving. He hears her open the door, and Paulus Ruprecht, he comes running back, scares the heck out of her, and she, she shoots him and accidentally kills him. Now, since she was a madam, the newspapers just crucified her instead of trying to crucify the guy that was trying to do break into her house. Yeah. Yeah. And she ended up being Ugh. in prison for like 10 years because of it. But yeah, they, they think that Paulus Ruprecht is probably one of the people that's haunting the place. Yeah. In fact, the jury room has ended up on, uh, so, you know, some of the ghost hunting TV shows and, uh, all the various different strange things like the gas pilots on the, uh, stoves turning on by themselves and, and all sorts of different weird activity. What are some mm -hmm. of the stories that you've heard there? I think we're much milder when I, um, interviewed the owner of it at the time. She said she'd do things like she'd go down the basement to get, uh, crate of glasses and she'd swear she just bought a crate of glasses and they'd be nowhere to be found so she'd go out buy another crate of glasses take them downstairs and then the original crate of glasses would still be there um it's things like that nothing particularly scary but just kind of irritating <laughs> <laughs> mischievous ghost <laughs> yes so um one of my favorite uh, features of uh, the downtown areas is we have a, a series of um, very beautiful historic theaters. Uh, we've got the Palace and the Ohio and the Great Southern and the Lincoln. Um, and you talk about a couple of them in the book, the Palace in particular, I think the Ohio Theater. Um, talk about those a little bit and what, what are people uh, encountering there? Oh, boy. Uh, a friend of mine used to be working the ticket office in the Ohio Theater, and they'd have to work there late at night after everybody else left, you know, taking care of all the financial stuff. And she said sometimes they'd sneak into the theater afterwards, it was dark and quiet, and they would do things like get out in the Ouija board. <laughs> like, oh, that's really smart <laughs> in a haunted place. Um, yeah. One night they got out the Ouija board and they started asking questions like, you know, what, what's your, who's your favorite composer and just, you know, cute stuff like that. Nothing particularly, um, nothing t terribly exciting, but they had a coworker named Wayne and anytime Wayne, anybody, anybody mentioned the ghost rather, Wayne did not believe in ghosts. He'd say, ah, that's that, but that's a bunch of bull. That's a bunch of bull. So they, they they thought they'd ask the ghost what they thought of Wayne. They said, oh, so um, do you like Wayne? And the light above them blew out. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Actually, anytime Wayne started going on about the ghost, the lights would go out like, you know, ugh, the maintenance people hated him. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yeah, we're real. We'll, pro we'll prove it to you, yes, Wayne. Uh, he still doesn't believe him. 
<laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, what what does Ghost got to do to get some some uh, some credit here? You know. <laughs> so what are what are some of? I mean, like I said uh, in the book, you've compiled a ton of different uh, you know locations, and out of all of those locations, what are some of your favorite stories that you've heard over the years? Uh, I don't remember if I put this in the book, but the char bar is haunted. It's on High Street. Uh, it's pretty close to where they had the Old North Cemetery, which they didn't necessarily move all the bodies. That's one thing about the cemeteries there when they, they started moving the cemeteries out to farther reaches. They just never managed to quite get all the bodies out. Well, the char bar itself, if I understand correctly, it was probably used as a makeshift uh, mortuary during the 1913 flood when they had like 10,000 people who, roughly 1,000 people who died in that. They just had bodies all over the place. Well, um, people have a lot of issues in the basement, especially around this one piano where they say it'll play by itself. Uh, one lady I talked to said she went down to use the women's room in the basement um, and the piano started jumping up and down, which is not something you want to see when you've got a full batter. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, or ever. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I would say I'm, I I would love to have a ghost experience just in someone else's house, not mine. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. What what other uh, what other stories uh, are some of your favorites? Schwartz Castle. Uh, Columbus is one of the rare places where we have a naked ghost. <laughs> a naked Schwartz ghost, Castle. okay. Yeah, it's this beautiful old mansion. It's very tall, very stately looking. has kind of a castle-like look to it. It's in the, at this point, the north end of um, German Village, which is, again, a very historic area where a lot of German settlers um, lived back in the day. Well, Schwartz, Friedrich Schwartz was fairly wealthy, obviously, but he was also quite eccentric. Um, he was a, a naturalist. He's he's very into healthful things. Like he was a vegetarian, which you know by today's standards wouldn't be considered that weird. But back then, it was highly eccentric. One thing he believed very highly in was that it was very healthy to have um, the sun shining down on your naked skin, so you could absorb the sun's energy. So he was known for climbing up to the top of the tower on his mansion, buck naked, and <laughs> just hanging out for a while. <laughs> well, after he died, he was still doing it. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, <laughs> so I know a lot of these places, uh, not all of them are open to the public. You know, we, we mentioned some in German village that are privately owned homes. But what are some of the, uh, the the hot spots that folks, you know, who are visiting or who live in the area can go to visit and, and perhaps maybe have an encounter? Um. Well, obviously, the Kelton House is one of them. Um, Kelton House, like I said, it's a museum that is the house museum. If you go there, especially on one of their Halloween ghost tours, um, almost inevitably something happens on the final ghost tour of the, the, um, the season that it's open most days of the week. You can either have a docent guided tour or you can have um, a recorded tour, which is allowed you to kind of go through the house on your own pace and pay more attention to what's going on there. Unfortunately, they do not allow anybody to do any ghost investigations there. It's kind of an insurance thing. Ah, okay. There's a Central Ohio Fire Museum. 
um, again, another museum. It had originally been a firehouse and it is haunted supposedly by the, the Captain Duke, who, um, who was in charge of the place for many, many years. Um, they say, among other things, not that this is him, but um, they used to have horses that drew, drew the character, drew the fire um, wagons, and they'd have these stables in the back part of it. And they say you can still hear the horses sometimes. We did um, a tour for the Columbus Landmarks Foundation there once. It's kind of a cross between a tour and a ghost investigation. And my coworker, um, he said that when he was in the back part and where they used to keep the hay, they could hear kids giggling, even though there was no children on the tour itself. So that was kind of cool. Ah, let me think open places. That's a problem. We have a lot of haunted places, but not too many of them are open to the public. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know that, you know, like some of the, some of the, um, you know, like the jury room obviously is, is, uh, you know, is a fully operational, uh, bar at this point. So oh, they're open as know, a bar now. Uh, uh they were, I don't know if they still are. Uh, they were open as a bar. I mean, they were like the oldest, uh, establishment in Columbus that had been open to the public for like ever. But then, um, last I heard the current owner had made it into an event space. So you can rent it, but you can't necessarily go there. But hopefully maybe that's changed in the past few years. I haven't been there for a few years. But it's definitely worth going to. I mean, it's very cool. Um, oh, Greater Columbus Antiques Mall. Uh, at one point, that, that leads back to the Victorian era. Again, that's down the German Village area. Uh, from a, While the, the Kelton House is the most interactively haunted that I've ever been to, the Greater Columbus Antiques Mall has the greatest sense of presence. I've never had anything happen to me personally there, but man, you can kind of feel them around. People have seen a woman in a, a yellow dress, like more or less Civil War era around. They say there's a man at, in a top hat who, or no, he's in a cloak, who just kind of radiates evil. I know that when I go downstairs mm. in the basement area, it, it just, it feels very oppressive, like somebody died of a heart attack there or something. Hmm. So I definitely go there. It's it's a real cool place to go to if you like antiques anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like uh, two of my favorite things tied in one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, if you go to Greenlawn Cemetery, now they don't try to advertise that they've got hauntings there, but supposedly there have been. I had a really crazy experience there once. Uh, I was volunteering to help clean uh, some of the, well, not clean the headstones, but, you know, tend one of the graves. And I just looked up and I saw these little dark spots floating around. I thought, oh, I had floaters in my eye. And all of a sudden they turned into spots that were bright, like not crazy bright, like magnesium flare bright. I actually left burning in my eyes. And it, it you know, just they flew around for just, a, you know, maybe 10 seconds and boop, flipped out like old fashioned TV sets. I have no oh idea gosh. whether that was, you know, ghosts or some kind of bizarre natural phenomenon, but... That was weird. They, they think that um, the ghost of Dr. Schnook is around. Um, he was a veterinary professor in the 1920s for OSU. And he got involved with one of the co-eds there. They had a crazy wild relationship where they were getting into drugs and stuff like that. But he ended up murdering her and gotten, got executed for it. 
his graves here, it's actually under his, um, I think his first name is middle name. They didn't want to have his last name on it because they didn't want people going to the grave all the time. But I believe it's James Howard, if you ever can find that grave. Supposedly, people see him around there. And there's also the Hayden Mausoleum, which supposedly, if you knock on the door, you'll get knocks back. And then people oh have seen um, a little boy sitting on the steps crying on rainy days, and then he just kind of disappears. Wow, that's that's quite a bit of activity. I mean, it, again, it is a huge cemetery, so I guess the uh, the odds are higher <laughs> just based on the volume of people who have uh, have been put to rest there. But um, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Any any other stories that you wanted to to, to add in today, or uh, any anything recent that you've come across that uh, you wanted to mention? Well, <laughs> speaking of weird <laughs> ghost stories. Uh, one of my other favorites is happened at Orton Hall on the OSU campus. Um, this is a story I've been hearing ever since I was in college, you know, way back in the 1980s. Uh, supposedly, people used to see the ghost of a Neanderthal man there. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that one out, but... Yeah, say, I don't think I've ever heard uh, a, a Neanderthal ghost before. That's interesting. But I suppose if ghosts are real, then Neanderthal ghosts must be real as well, right? I mean... Yeah, you know. yeah, but I, I don't think they have any Neanderthal bones there. They've, they've got like mm, huh. not mammoths or stuff like that, but you know, older prehistoric critters, but not human remains. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that that's fascinating. So, um, before I let you go, where where can people? The book is called "A Haunted History of Columbus, Ohio." Um, it's part of, uh, I believe, it's part of a series, right? Haunted America. Um, yes. Where can people go to find a copy? Um, sold at Barnes and Noble, um, I think the book loft and giant Eagle was selling them for a while too. So that was kind of cool. Interesting. Course, I think know, I found Amazon. a copy at, uh, Walgreens in my neighborhood. Oh, really? Enough. Oh, I didn't know yeah. they were selling them there. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. They've got like a little end cap of just like local historical, uh, books. And so I think I found a copy. I think I found the copy there, but, uh, but yeah, Barnes and Noble, that's good to know. And, um, and, uh, uh, so go out and check it out. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, are you working on anything else that, that people should know about? Last year I came out with another book, um, Murder and Mayhem in Columbus, Ohio. It's a his book of historic crimes, mostly murders. And there is a little ghost story at the very end of it. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, go check it out. Like I, I, I find that most people who are fascinated with ghosts seem to also be into true crime. So, uh, so go check it out and, uh, thank you so much for coming on. This is fascinating. And, and, uh, like I said, first time we've ever done anything, uh, local. So I thought that was, uh, exceptionally, uh, cool. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been fun. All great cities have their share of ghost stories, their spooky locations. But are they really haunted, or is it simply that human beings are fascinated with the lore behind them, and that over time, a legend grows? Or is there something really going on, something beyond what we can see or currently understand? A sort of stain created by a deeply painful and tragic event that's there to remind us even decades or centuries later of what happened there so long ago. Thank you so much for listening to From the Void. If you enjoyed this show from this season or the first two seasons, 
please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast so we can continue to find new listeners. Also, consider sharing with a friend. Next week, I'll be back with a brand new mystery. Until then, I've been your host, John Williamson, and you've been listening to From the Void. From the Void.